Okay, enough of that. If you found Mark 8, why don't you stand with me? We'll read together God's Word. We've come to another miracle. But you know, as a preacher, the trick with preaching through a gospel is at some point it's like, how do I preach? I mean, another healing? How do I preach this differently? How can I grant fresh insight? Here's what I want you to note with me today. This is not another miracle. This is, I dare say, an unprecedented miracle. Something happens in this text that has never happened before and will never happen since. In other words, there's more to this healing than meets the eye. See if you can detect it with me as I read, beginning in verse 22. Mark writes, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he says he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And so then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And it says he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sends him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Would you join me as we pray? Let's ask God to help us make sense of this unprecedented miracle. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would come and by the power of your spirit, open blind eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. And use me in spite of me to communicate it clearly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You guys know the old adage, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. You know how it goes. And isn't that the truth? I mean, who amongst us doesn't like a good illustration? Don't you just, I mean, even we adults who are cultured and educated and we got books on our shelf at home, the truth is... Don't you just like a good picture book? That's why people like magazines. They got photos in it. I'm a history buff. I like to read a bunch of history books. I got a bunch of thick dictionary looking books on my bookshelf at home. But the truth is, whenever I pull those out, you know what I love to do? I like to flip to those inside middle pages that have the pictures. Everybody loves a good picture. It's worth a thousand words. And the truth is, don't you sometimes wish that the Bible had some illustrations? Like, wouldn't it just, I don't need Crossway publishing a kid's Bible. Why didn't God just give us one? He knows our human nature as we like a good illustration. Why didn't he illustrate the Bible? A picture is worth a thousand words. And here's what I want you to note. In a very real sense, he has. On the one hand, he has given us the book, the Bible, the word of the living God. It is in truth thousands of words. It's his special, specific revelation to us. It's how we know him. He's given us a book. But what you may have failed to recognize is that the Bible actually tells us he's given us, for lack of a better word, a second book, another book. And this is, praise be to God, a picture book. It's an illustrated one. This second book illustrates the former. Do you want to know what this second book is of which I describe? It's not the word. It's the world. It's not scripture. It's nature. It's not revelation, it's 
creation. The Bible teaches that this world that he has made, it is a screaming testimony illustrating who he is. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Paul puts a finer point on it in the first chapter of his letter to the church at Rome when he says that no man, woman, or child is without excuse before God because they live and breathe in the world he has made and that created world screams. It testifies that there is a God. The creation in which we live, it is an abiding illustration of his word. It, in other words, makes visible the invisible. The world illustrates the word. The nature illustrates scripture. Creation uh, illustrates revelation. And of all the wonderful illustrations God's given us in this great world, the high mountain peaks that describe the glories that are ascending and ascending of God, the depths of the dark ocean that show us that God's depths cannot be plumbed, the wide expanses of the horizon that show us that God is limitless. When you look up and behold the starry canopy at night, you will see that God is unfathomable. He cannot be contained. This world cries there's a God, I dare say, of all the wonderful illustrations in God's creation. There is one of all his created creative wonders that illustrates in a most unusual, profound way. And it's the illustration of eyesight. Have you detected when you read the Bible that time and again God illustrates, as it were, his word with the picture of eyesight? It's his favorite illustration for sin. Time and again, he describes sinners as being blinded by the God of this world. Time and again, he describes sinners as seeing, but not really seeing. It's an abiding illustration of sin. It's an abiding illustration of God's saving grace. When he calls us to be saved, he says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah. Or he says, behold, that's see, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's his chosen illustration for sin, for saving grace. It's actually his chosen illustration, not merely for saving grace, but for saving faith. Acts illustrates this for us when in the book of Acts, he describes faith as having your eyes being opened. Oh, that is the great call of Christ to us, is to go and do the impossible. To open blind eyes, which we can't do in and of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. An amazing, miraculous act of faith. It is opening blind eyes. It's his chosen illustration for sin, saving grace, saving faith. And even, it's his illustration for sanctification or the process by which we are slowly, gradually growing into the likeness of Christ. He uses this illustration that the mind of your, uh, the eyes of your mind should be enlightened. He's using this illustration time and again. So little wonder then that Jesus routinely in his gospels heals a blind man. We see this time and again. And we've come to a text yet again where he comes to a blind man and heals him. And the question we ought to ask ourselves is, okay, well, what is this healing all about? Is he just doing this because he can? Or is this miracle a metaphor? And I contend with a great many, by the way, this isn't original to me, 
I contend that this healing, this miracle that we've just witnessed is a metaphor. There's three reasons why I want you to see that this miracle is a picture of something far more profound. On the one hand, I want you to note when the miracle takes place. If you recall last week in verses 14 through 21, Jesus is interacting with the disciples and Jesus looks at the disciples who are seeing more clearly than the Pharisees. And do you recall what he says to the disciples? He says, seeing you do not see. And then he follows it up with this unusual miracle. Notice when it happens and notice what happens in the miracle. This is the second reason why I think it's a metaphor. Did you notice that what happens is unprecedented? Jesus heals the man in multiple stages. He's never done that before and he'll never do it since. Remember the first time I read this, I thought Jesus had messed up. He spat on the guy's eyes, tried to get him open and they only kind of opened and so he had to try again and thanks be to God, he got it right the second time. Do you, you think that's what's happening? It's not just when and not just what happened. I want you to know why. Because time and again, the Bible links physical healing with spiritual healing. He puts a real fine point on this in John 9 when he heals a blind man born, from, uh, born blind from birth. And at the end of John 9, he explicitly says that this healing occurred to illustrate for the watching world that he heals people spiritually blind. He literally tells us that. And so I think with these three reasons packaged together, we ought to come to this text in Mark 8 and agree together that he is giving us a picture of our spiritual blindness and the wonderful work that he does to cause us to see. Praise God that this truth you ought to bank your life on. Christ alone can make you see. Mark that down. I want you to see the thrust of this text is that you are blind and you will only see by the power of Christ alone. Now here's what I want you to note. Here's why I think the, the metaphor is so profound. In the same way that the blind man was healed in stages, I and a great many think that what Jesus is doing is intentional. He is illustrating for us Hear me, this is going to sound a little weird. He's illustrating for us that he likewise saves us in stages. You're thinking, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. What are you trying to suggest here? It's often said that the gospel is conveyed in three tenses, past, present, and future. God has saved us. That's what we call conversion or justification or regeneration. He has at one point in time decisively saved you. But the scripture also literally uses the language, he is saving you, which is what we describe as sanctification. It's not what he has done, it's what he is presently doing in your life. He doesn't just save you, give the proverbial fire insurance and do nothing in your life from that point forward. He not only has, he is saving you. And the Bible actually uses the language, he will one day save you fully. And we use that word not as justification and not as sanctification. That's the word glorification. There is going to come a day when we will finally see in full. And I believe that this healing is a beautiful picture of the threefold, uh, three-tenths work God has done in saving us and causing our blind eyes to see see. If you're taking notes, mark this down. Christ alone can make you see. First, I want you to see he has done this. He has already done this. And note, if you will, in verses 22, where we pick up this picture. In verse 22, it says that they came to Bethsaida. 
That's a town on the Sea of Galilee, northern shore. Peter, uh, Philip, uh, Andrew were from that town, possibly Nathaniel as well. And it says, some people brought to him a blind man. Now, in that day and time, a blind man was regarded as cursed of God, not altogether unlike a, a leper. They were untouchable to a degree. Oftentimes, their blindness was not just a cloudy eye. It was often an infested eye because of the lack of medical care. There would be a degree of degeneration. Oftentimes, there were uh, little insects and whatnot. It was, a, it was a sad state of affairs. They bring this blind man, and it says they begged Jesus to touch him. And it says Jesus does something that should have shocked the crowd. He takes the blind man by the hand, and he leads the blind man out of the village not exactly sure why. Maybe it was an indication of his personal, sincere, compassionate touch. It could have been because he didn't want to heal the man in front of everybody. Like verse 26 alludes, don't even go back in the village. He doesn't want to do this healing and then cause an uproar because its time had not yet come yet. Nevertheless, he takes the man out of the village. And then he does something that should appall most of us. He spits on the man's eyes. And he lays his hands on him. And he asks him, which is kind of a funny question because this is Jesus. You would expect him to know the answer, of course. He says, do you see anything? And verse 24 says, the man looked up. Anablepo, that word literally means his sight was restored at that moment. He saw again. He looked up and he actually says, I see. Now, I know you all know what the next word is, but I need you to pretend like you don't know it yet. Just pause right there because this is a truth. He saw. The blind man in that moment experienced a miracle. It was admittedly partial, but he experienced it. And I want you to feel with me that this miracle is a metaphor for how God has caused you who were blind to see. Have you forgotten that there was a day when he came to you and took you by the hand? He didn't save you because you were raised in a Christian family. You are not blind and now seeing because your wife was blind and now sees. You are not blind and now see because your grandfather was a preacher. He had to take your hand. It was, in other words, a personal, a most personal act that he wrought in your life. He came and he touched you. But he didn't just touch you like the grandfather Santa Claus Jesus. It, I, I don't want to extend this analogy too far, but it is as if he spat in your eyes. Have you noticed that when you first came to Christ, there was an offense of the gospel? When you first heard the message, it was repulsive to you, and then all of a sudden something miraculous happened? What was once offensive is now sweet. What was now sour is now sweet. What was once the aroma of death is now the aroma of life. There was a moment when he spat, so to speak. It's as if his very words protruded from his mouth and they got you into the core of your spiritual sight. And it was in that moment that he not only personally caused you to see, he not only provocatively caused you to see, he in that moment promptly caused you to see. In other words, salvation isn't some slow process where you're getting a little bit more and more saved and hopefully you get saved enough where he'll let you in the golden gates one day. That's not it. When God saves you, it is an instantaneous prompt miracle. This is what we call the gift of regeneration or justification where the cosmic judge bangs the gavel and says you were blind and now you see but have you found this to be true that when God saved you and took the scales off your eyes did you see everything perfectly and that's the truth is that's not the case every year I've walked with the Lord which has been 22 years at this point 
I actually grow in my awareness of my sin. I actually see myself all the more clearly to be a sinner, not less, which is what illustrates in my judgment the second truth I want to seal to your heart, that he who made you see is he who is making you see. It's he who not only justified you, but it's he who sanctifies you. Now, before we discuss the glory of his sanctifying work in our life, we dare not pass over verse 22. Did you guys notice how all this began? Did God just randomly find this guy and touch him? Which, of course, he could have, but he... Look at verse 22. How did this all start? It says, some people brought him to Jesus. Some people begged Jesus to heal him. Some nameless but shameless people faithfully, obediently brought someone who was blind to their Lord and begged, prayed that God would do what only he can do. And let that be just a brief call to you and to me that God never saves anybody apart from them being brought to him. He uses means. There are a great many of you in this gathering today who are spiritually blind and you didn't realize that there is somebody, it might have been a friend, it might have been the almighty hand of providence himself that has providentially brought you into this room. You have been brought in and you have not only been brought here, you have been prayed for. I prayed for you before this service began. There are probably people who love you that have been begging God for you. Remember, there is Oh, there is power in interceding, pleading, praying for those in your family, those whom you love who are spiritually blind. Bring them, in other words, dear church, to Jesus. And praise God when that happens, when the blinders come off and they at last see, you ought to expect that he who began a good work in you is going to keep bringing it to completion. He who has caused you to see is he who is causing you to see. Notice it says... I see, verse 24, but they look like trees walking. His sight, in other words, is partial. Which isn't that an illustration of how we are as believers? Seeing we don't see fully. We, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, see through a glass dimly. We are walking by faith, not by sight. Have you found it to be true that when Christ saved you, you have had to grow in your knowledge of him? You don't see him perfectly. You are slowly but surely changing. You don't see your sin perfectly, but as you age, you are seeing all the more clearly who you are and who he is. Lord willing, you're hating your sin more. You're putting your sin to death more. You're growing in your knowledge of his glory and of his grace. What a wonderful illustration of God's sanctifying work. He who has caused you to see is he who is causing you to see. He who has justified you is he who is sanctifying you. Praise God that he who has is he who is working in our life. But the challenge is, I suspect a great many of you in this room are thinking, Kyler, that's true, but I am here today in the, it's like I'm in the mist of misery. The fog of fear just has me not seen clearly. It's like the smog of suffering just has me almost choked. I, I don't feel like I'm even walking by faith much. I, I don't see anything. And is this ever going to change? 
Am I ever going to get out of this? Oh, I, I long for that day when I'm going to finally be able to see. And praise God, that day is coming. For notice what Jesus does next. Praise God, there's a verse 25. Because in verse 25, he who saw men like trees walking, at last Jesus comes, lays his hands on him again, and he says, what? Three things he says that all say the same thing. It's weird that the writer did this. I think it's illustrating for us how perfect this is. He opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything. I think it underscores the perfection of the sight we are going to one day receive. There is coming a day when our faith is going to be made sight. We who saw partially are going to see perfectly. We who have just seen progressively are one day going to see permanently. There is going to come a day when we are going to last experience the latter half of that verse I just cited. We see through a glass dimly, but there is coming a day when we are going to see him face to face. There is coming a day, my friends, as Revelation 22 and verse 4 says, when we are going to see his face. And every tear will be wiped away from our eye. All the fog and mist and murk of this life will be blown away at last. And our faith will be made sight. We will at last sing in full accord that old song. Y'all know, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Y'all remember that song? Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be made sight. The clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You realize that song is not sung from somebody in heaven. It is sung by somebody on earth in the throes of despair. Written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He had just lost almost all of his earthly possessions into a fire. And his four daughters had just tragically drowned in a boat accident, ship sunk. And he was at the lowest of lows. Like Job of old, he cried out. And he could have cried out in mocking spite. He could have cursed God to his face. But instead, with tears I trust streaming down his cheeks, he cried out, Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be made sight. And those clouds are going to finally be rolled back as a scroll. And so take heart, dear friends. There is coming a day when your faith is going to be made sight. Praise God that Christ alone can make you see. He has at justification when he saved you. He is by sanctifying you this very moment. And praise God, there is coming a day when he will fully, permanently, perfectly, finally. And that's a big word we call glorification. When at last your faith will be made sight. Oh, aren't you glad that a picture is worth a thousand words? Isn't it wonderful that God in his grace, and it is all of grace, that he has given us a second book, a wonderful abiding illustration to show us his multifaceted work, his past work in our life, his present work in our life, and his future work in our life. But I suspect that there are probably a great many of you who need to hear my final words. And it may hit you like spit to the eyes. And that's that you are this moment blind. You don't see. Seeing, you do not see. You may have heard much. You may have been here for years and 
feel like you see things and you've gotten certain insights, but the truth is, you know, you do not behold. It's like, you, it's not even like men or trees walking. You just don't see anything. It's pretty much just black. And you feel hopeless and in despair. And if that's you, I pray you hear me. God did something in your life that you didn't know he was doing. Like the blind man of old, he has brought you into this room today. You have been brought. You have been begged for, prayed for by some people. You didn't even know their names. Nameless but shameless people that have been earnestly interceding for you. You are here this hour or you are joining online and you are hearing this moment that there is a God who has brought you to his word. You have been prayed for and right now it's as if he has, he has spit in your eyes. Maybe the offense of the gospel has you disgusted for a moment, but you know, you know that you know that you have a hopeless condition. You are blind and you so desperately want to see. And so if that is you, I pray you lend me your ear. I can't do it. I can't touch you and make your eyes see. This is a work of Christ alone. And so if you are so desperate to have your sight be restored, if you want to be able as a blind man of old to look up and see, you need to confess, admit this moment that you are the blind man that you are blind and you desperately need a miracle of sight. Just cry out to him this moment and say, Oh God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to see. And he in his grace will come and he'll touch you. Amen. And when he does, in that moment, instantaneously, your eyes will open. And it's as if what was once sour will now be sweet. What was once the aroma of death will become the aroma of life. What was once hopeless darkness will now be light indescribable. You who were blind will then at that moment see. And when you do, and oh, I pray it happens even this day, you will be able to join me, we, and all the chorus of God's redeemed singing forevermore amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Why don't you join me as we pray? And I'm asking that God would do that mighty miraculous work in your heart this day. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time for you to respond to the gospel proclaimed. As we always do, we'll sing together. But today, a little different, I would like to invite you all, particularly you who do see, to respond differently. We're going to respond first through the participation in the Lord's Supper, one of the highest, holiest acts of worship God has afforded us. This is a great moment for us to remember that it is because of the body broken for you and the blood poured out for you that you have sight this moment. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. It was the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that alone makes it possible for you to be ransomed, redeemed, and have spiritual sight at last. And so we're going to do just that. But before we do, it would be right and appropriate for each of us to silently pray and prepare our own hearts for this act. For the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, makes quite clear that we ought not take the Lord's Supper lightly, lest we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And so I want to invite you, in the privacy of your own seat, to just silently cry out to God and ask Him to prepare your heart. Confess your sin to Him. Ask him to open your eyes anew 
to behold wonderful things from his word, to see your sin and to see the glory of his grace. And as you do that, now would also be a good time for you to take out the elements that you received at the beginning of our service and prepare them. I would advise you to open the bread before the cup. And in just a few moments, I'll lead us in this time. This is a time for believers. And so if you know that you're blind and you so desperately want to see, I invite you to just hold back for a moment. There is a time for you and we to respond. But until that time comes, you just sit back as we who were blind and now see glory in the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for us. You spend some time praying now and in a moment I'll lead us in the supper. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of the bread and as often as you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We, the redeemed, who were blind and now see, have done this in one accord. But for you who are gathered this day, who know that you know, Pastor, it's as if the Bible has pierced me. I know I'm blind and I so desperately want to see. I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and sing. And as we do, there will be pastors down here at the front who would love nothing more than to pray with you. You come. If you are wondering, how can I see? How can I have the hope that you guys seem to have? I so desperately want to see through the mist of fog and despair. Help me to see. You come. And we would love nothing more than to pray and ask Christ to do what he alone can do. Touch you. And by the miracle of his grace, cause you, dear friend, to see. Father in heaven, to the glory of Jesus and by the power of your spirit, I'm asking that you would move this hour, that you would so come, that you would open blind eyes for the first time to see. And for we, your people, who see in part, oh, I pray we would walk by faith and not by sight. 
I pray, oh God, that we would bank our hope on the fact that though we see through a glass dimly, there is coming a day when we will see you face to face. Our faith will be made sight and the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. But until that day comes, Lord, we will sing of your amazing grace, banking on the precious, precious truth that we who were blind by a miracle of your grace now see. Do this for others this hour, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?